Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com and the Pure and Simple Bible Podcast. And I'm so thankful for you for listening and for coming back again to ride along with us as we study the Bible together with people coming into the studio and sharing Bible studies with us. Today we have Brother Brett Hickey back again. I've had him on in the past. He's a great person to interview, very good at answering questions and also just listening to. He's got a golden voice, right? Brett Hickey has a Bible program called Let the Bible Speak that's on TV, and it's also on YouTube, and you can go to his website, letthebiblespeak.com, for a bunch of information about it. Today we're going to talk about Providence, and the title is Providence and Pharaoh's Daughter, not the person you might normally associate with Providence, and for that reason, we're actually not going to talk about her a lot today. She'll come up in the next episode. But since I break these conversations apart into multiple episodes, the first part that we'll be talking about today is kind of the foundation of providence and characters that we do normally associate it with and how uh, it helps build this framework so that when we get to Pharaoh's daughter, it'll make perfect sense. So, okay, well, I'm back with Brother Brett Hickey. You've been here before, you're here again, and I'm thankful that you would come back. So thank you for joining me in studio today. Great to be in your studio today. Now, this is a sermon that you have put on Let the Bible Speak already, or will it be coming out soon? It's not there yet. Oh, so this is a preview. Yes. (laughs) It'll be coming out probably in January. Oh, man. Well, if you want to listen to that without the annoying interruptions of my voice, then you can go to letthebiblespeak.com. And, uh, oh, I didn't put the sermon number on here. Do you happen to know it off the top of your head? You don't know all your sermon numbers? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure, but it'll be easy to recognize by the title when it comes up there. Well, let's jump in. Uh, The title's called Pharaoh's Daughter and Divine Providence. And for those who uh, like playing Bible trivia, you might be racking your brain. What all did Pharaoh's daughter do in the Bible? Well, we'll get into that in a moment, but I I thought I might begin by asking you to uh, read and then comment on this first Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 you know I wouldn't think about that initially with Pharaoh's daughter so it's an interesting uh, voice or interesting verse but after reading it it makes total sense so can you read that for us and then maybe comment on it sure by faith Moses when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command nothing in that verse about the uh, Pharaoh's daughter Right. But as I got into this passage and started reading in the related passages in Exodus and in Acts chapter 7, I realized this young lady has more of an impact on, on uh, this topic than I would have ever imagined. Right. And it's become something that was very uh, fascinating and encouraging to me. That brings us to the next verse. By, by faith Moses, when he became of age refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Aha, there she is. Yeah. and uh, But it seems just kind of like, well, we see her, and she's not significant. She doesn't really matter. It just mentions her, and well, let's just move on. This right. is Moses we're talking about. Right. But really, she she plays a significant role in what's going on. In, in divine providence, okay? In your title, it's Pharaoh's daughter in divine providence, but 
the phrase itself, divine providence, it's not found in Scripture. You know, if you were to do the word search, you wouldn't you'd come up with the result zero. But since the concept's there, maybe you could spend we could spend some time defining it and helping people understand what we mean when we say divine providence. Yes, divine providence, that phrase is not in the Bible. The word providence is found once in the Bible, mm, okay. but it has nothing really to do with divine providence like we're talking about today. Okay. But the concept, the idea is there, and right. we find it over and over and over again in the scriptures. Okay. Uh, I see here the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Yeah, they explain that uh, the word providence has come to be used to signify that preparation, care, and supervision, which are necessary to secure a desired future result. And when okay. you see the word providence and you hear the word providence, what's this, what does this word mean? We don't use it as much as we have 100 years ago and even uh, much less than we did 200 years ago in right. writings. But what does this word mean? Well, if you think of providence and you take the last few letters off, you've got provide and that that word can help you. I like that. Um, if I can ask a question, maybe that's not in the notes. Um, you're going to talk a little bit more about other definitions. It's going to help us really conceptualize this term. But what might be the difference between providence and predestination? Do you have any thought on that? Well, um, there, there are some extremes that we want to avoid. Okay. Um, one is that when it comes to some people, some of our Calvinist friends in particular, they think that everything's all laid out, that God has lined everything out. In fact, they say, in effect, that when you're born, it's already determined. Yeah, everything. You're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And there's nothing you can do that will change your eternal destination. And uh -huh. we're not talking about that. That, right. that is an extreme idea that's not taught in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, on the other extreme, some people would say that Everything that happens, you know, God is not involved in anything that happens. The mm -hmm. deist, for example. Right. Um, God set things in motion. He created everything, and then he just sits back and is not involved, doesn't care. He's going to wait and see how it all turns out. Well, that attitude and that idea is contrary to Scripture as well. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of examples that, that show that that's not the case. And if it, wasn't that, if it wasn't that way, then why would we pray, Jonathan? Good question. You know, we could pray and acknowledge God's uh, magnificence, his power, and, and laud him in our prayers, but our prayers would be a lot different if we didn't believe that prayer changes things, that God is and can be involved in what's going on in our lives down here. Yeah. Well, tell me about what uh, Homer Haley, I mean, you got a great list of different uh, definitions of providence to help. Maybe we can just go through them real quick and, and uh, better explain it. Yeah, Homer Haley writes that providence is the working of God through his provision in the natural and spiritual realms. Okay. And yet it is a control that violates neither the sovereignty of the human will nor divine natural and spiritual laws. Now, there's such a thing as the sovereignty of God, but at the same time, we are free moral agents. Mm -hmm. We get to choose. We get to make decisions, which is really hammered in the same passage in Hebrews chapter 11, that Moses made the choice and we have to make choices. And God is not going to overrule our right to make those choices. But at the same time, he is somehow 
involved in influencing uh, those decision-making. So that helps me better understand the difference between providence and predestination. Providence is working hand-in-hand with my ability to choose God or deny God, whereas with predestination, uh, I don't have a choice in any of that, which is clearly against scriptures where it shows that there is faith that must come along with grace, and faith is trusting and obeying God. Exactly. Um, What does McClintock say? He says that providence is the wisdom and power which God continually exercises in the preservation and government of the world for the ends which he proposed to accomplish. Now, you kind of talked about it just a moment ago, but, you know, maybe uh, it might be good to emphasize again that if we don't take this seriously, uh, why pray, right? It seems like our prayer life, if we don't believe that God is able to, through his providence, uh, improve our our situation or to help answer our prayers, then what would be the purpose of praying to him? It really doesn't make much sense, does it? And I'm so thankful, looking back through my life, to see some of the amazing answers to prayer. For example, you're, you're familiar with the story with the Matt Tyson, Matt Nashley Tyson baby. Right. Um, and how that it was, the baby was um, in a position where there was just nothing they could do. The doctors had given up all hope, mm-hmm. and so the family had mm-hmm. decided they're going to take this little one off of um, the um, life support. And, and uh, in fact, uh, Matt had called me the night before and kind of relayed the situation and asked if you know I'd be willing to speak at the funeral service. Wow. It's just, it was just so... It was such. It was a hopeless situation. Yeah, there, there was just no way that uh, things were going to change. Yeah, and so they had explained that to the family, and uh, but then the next morning I get the call, and it was one of the strangest things, one of the strangest calls I'd ever received. And he said, "We're not going to need you to help with that." And he went on to explain that the nurses had told him that they're not going to be able to take him off of life support. And uh, what a strange moment that must have been. But as it turns out, she had started breathing yeah. on her own against all of what the doctors had said. And it's like, this has got to be an answer mm-hmm. to prayer. Now, from a medical standpoint, they, they couldn't explain yeah. what had happened. But for those of us who are Christians, we, we know exactly what had happened. People all over the country, all over the world, have been praying for this little baby, and God answered those prayers. Mm. Now, when we get to the end of this, I I have some additional questions about coincidence and things of that nature, but I'm just going to maybe put in the mind of our listeners um, this example of it is we are in awe of God's providence. But then what happens, is there a difference between that and coincidence? But I'm just going to kind of whet the appetite for that, and we'll come back to it in a bit. Very good. Now, um, it probably would be good if we could conceptualize divine providence. So you've just given a great example in in real time, or in, I guess, modern times of how providence works. But maybe there's some examples throughout Bible history we could look at. And uh, by looking at these individuals through the Old Testament, It'll give us a better appreciation of how God's providence works. Yes. Don't you love the story of Esther? I do. That's uh, one of my favorite stories, and it highlights the role of this beautiful young Jewish lady. Mm -hmm. And it's in an era when women held a lot less influence than they do today. Right. 
And we might even be able to say that it was in a place where um, women held less influence than other places. Okay. Well, Esther chose to step in and intervene in a situation where it was understood, you know, you just don't walk in before the king. Um, but she, if you do that and the right response was not given by the king, off goes your head. Yes, yeah, a death sentence. Yes. Well, Esther chose to intervene, but the Lord was using her as part of his plan to rescue his people mm -hmm. from the intended genocide of the wicked Haman who right. had uh, a plot designed to just wipe out the Jewish race. But I love Esther chapter four, verse 14. To me, mm -hmm. it's the climax of that mm -hmm. story where Mordecai, Esther's relative and guardian, sends Esther word. He says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I love those words. And I like to apply that those words to myself and yep. to other Christians. Mm -hmm. you, we cannot fully fathom the extent to which the Lord will use us. Now, the Lord, as we're going to notice a little bit later, can use wicked people. Yeah. can use those who have no intent to do anything for God or to be used for God. He can use them too, but, mm -hmm. oh man, it's magnified what can be done through us if we decide we're going to do everything we can to make ourselves available. Now, in Esther specifically, correct me if I'm wrong, but the word God actually doesn't appear in the book. Isn't that right? That's right. And so... I, it's almost like it goes hand in hand with what providence is with that exact phrase. Yet who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. There is this almost giving it to the unnamed God in the book. Who knows whether you've come in. So I think it's a powerful point that they obviously saw this book as part of their canon of Hebrew scripture. Yet God's name wasn't in it. So. That's powerful. That's an excellent point. And for a while, I think there was a hesitancy to put this book in that canon for that very reason. Well, we don't see the word God in it, mm -hmm. but God clearly, as you read through the story, was there. And the, yeah. same, is the, the same is the case with Providence. Well, tell me about uh, Jacob and his family, uh, backing up a little bit historically to the book of Genesis, that you, you have this example as well for, with Providence. What, how, what can we learn from that? Yeah, when you follow what happened in the life of Jacob's family, a lot of turmoil in that family. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, we get to a point where everybody's going to starve because there's a terrible drought. How are they going to be rescued? How are God's people going to be saved? You know, mm -hmm. the prophecy had been made going back to Genesis 3 initially and right. then in Genesis chapter 12 mm -hmm. to Abraham that in his seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then it's reiterated to Isaac and then to Jacob. But wait a minute. If uh, these folks starve, then yeah. this promise cannot be fulfilled. Well, how is it going to how is this going to be remedied? Well, you wouldn't think that Joseph, the next to the last Mm -hmm. male born yeah. would be the one who is the answer. He's the one that solves this difficulty. Especially uh, since his brother saw him sold as a slave. Yes, right? exactly. How's he going to help him? That's right. And 
they weren't thinking that. Jacob thought he was dead, so right. he wasn't thinking he was the answer. But he was the answer, mm-hmm. and he was the answer from a foreign country and through the additional role of a, of a foreign ruler who really didn't care anything about their God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the providence of a Pharaoh, and you know, we're talking about Pharaoh's daughter, this is two different persons, correct? Yes, this is, in fact, it's a different um, family of Pharaohs. Okay, the, uh, different dynasty or... Yes, if I'm pronouncing it right, the Hyksos okay. Pharaohs were a Semite uh, group of rulers in Egypt and um, descendants of uh, Esau. Right. Um, okay. They were shepherd kings, and so they could relate a little bit better to God's people. Mm-hmm. But the Pharaoh we're going to be reading about in a little bit, uh, totally different background. Right. Couldn't relate at all. But this specific uh, ruler and Joseph, the son who was sold as a slave down into Egypt and providentially works his way up into Pharaoh's court, is going to be the one that um, helps save his family. What? After uh, he does save them and um, his brothers come to him uh, a little bit later on, Joseph actually explains his providential role. What Can you share that with us from Genesis chapter 50? Oh, that's another classic scripture, isn't it? Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. You know, after Jacob dies, the brothers think, wait a minute. He hasn't let us have it to now, <laughs> right. but that's just because he didn't want to put dad through all that. Right. Now that dad's died, right. oh, he's going to get us. He's coming for us. Yes. So Genesis 50, Joseph puts their mind at ease. He tells them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Mm. So the evil that men do or try to do to those who are the people of God, God has a way of turning that around and to where it's a great blessing. Now, doesn't mean that everything's going to be smooth Mm -hmm. as, as we're used to that process. Joseph went through a lot of hard times, Yeah, but God can't in the end make it a positive. And we see that over and over in the Bible. And the greatest example of that, of course, is Jesus. Sure. And what happened on the cross. Satan and all of his demons must have been laughing, thinking, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. Uh-huh. But God got the last laugh. That's right. Now, you have a, a scripture from the New Testament that uh, goes right alongside what Joseph said. It's Paul's words. Yes. You mind if I read it? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, uh, we and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Right. This scripture is so powerful, and yet at the same time, it's so mysterious Mm -hmm. that sometimes when people go to this scripture, they don't want to accept what they're reading in black and white. (laughs) They want to make it, well, it doesn't really mean what it says. Yeah. But that approach to scripture is not is not a good way to go to scripture. Well, mm-hmm. let's accept the beauty here. Not that we know everything about it, but um, he says, we know. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Well, he says, we know that all things work together for good. Not that everything that happens is going to be good to those that love God, but in the final analysis, 
it will be. And so that's why whenever I hear some something tragic happening, I, you know, I'm not trying to reverse what happened, but I pray that somehow, some way, the Lord can bring something positive out of this. And um, we have to believe that God's going to, God can do, and often does do something beautiful out of something that was so horrible, like with what Joseph endured. Well, I think one of the, the Christian disciplines that we can always work on improving is contentment. And contentment is often found whenever things don't go your way. It's not just whenever life is golden, but it's whenever you're in the, the dregs of life. But, you know, when, when Paul in, in Philippians chapter 4 brings up the ideas of contentment, it's when he was full and when he was hungry, when he was clothed and when he was naked, and all things I can do through Christ who strengthens me, right? Um, because it's through Christ. And so I'm going to tie that into Romans 8 by just that, that first point. We know that all things work for good. So that's good things and bad things. I remember I had a preacher who taught that with me when I was training years ago. All things work for good. And so a Christian can really never have a bad day. I mean, obviously we do, but in the grand scheme of things, when we understand that God's working for us, then all things work towards our good. That's right. And so it doesn't make sense if all of a sudden we're, like, for example, we're in a train. And we're going through this tunnel, and all of a sudden, everything's dark. And we hear the roar of the train, and maybe there's other sounds that might be a little bit unsettling. Mm -hmm. But what are we going to do at that point? Are we going to say, hey, man, that's it. I'm jumping from the train. <laughs> no. We hold on, and we trust. We're, we're confident that everything is going to be yeah. all right. And what is faith? Faith is a trust in God that no matter what happens, mm -hmm. everything's okay. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Yeah. Job said, and if you remember what Satan sometimes makes some pretty good arguments. He does. And in, in earlier in Job, he said, well, what do you expect? Mm -hmm. When everything's going his way and you, you've built this hedge about him, why wouldn't he serve you? Mm -hmm. And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Is it only when everything's going well that we're going to trust God? What about when the hard times come? What about when difficulties come? Yeah. That's when our faith is really tested. That's when we find do we really trust God? And do we really believe this promise that we get in Romans mm -hmm. 8, 28? Mm -hmm. Well, I know we're kind of spending a little bit extra time on this, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we believe that God's going to rescue us from this fire, and even if he doesn't. So there's I love what, what that faith, you know, going along with the analogy, I'm not going to jump off this train in the dark. Yeah, they, they were going to be on God's side no matter what. So uh, a lot of great examples there. Um, now, the next example we have is somebody who ends up being the great-grandmother of one, if not the greatest kings of Israel. I will say that it's coincidental, if I could use that word. But uh, you know we have beehives. I've lost both of them this season, so we're going to be getting two new beehives next season. In fact, we're going to get three. Mm. Uh, my kids want to get involved. And so I asked for them to choose, because I had Mary and Martha, female Bible yeah. characters. So. Uh, I wanted them to choose names for the new beehives. And wouldn't you know, one of them chose Esther uh, and one of them chose Ruth. So the, <laughs> what we're talking about right now, these these Bible ladies, and the, they're going to be close to our family once again. Yes. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Tell me about uh, God's providence in the book of Ruth. Isn't it something? Who would have anticipated that the royal lineage, 
that led eventually to the birth of the Messiah would include Ruth, this woman, this Moabitess woman. Right. But by God's providence, mm-hmm. it did. Matthew 1, verse 5. Now, the Moabites, uh, the history there is not very positive. They were the idolatrous enemies of God's people. You can read about that in Judges 3, verse 28. And it goes all the way back to the fact that they were the descendants of Moab, who was the son from the incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughter. Not a good thing when your children are also your grandchildren. (laughs) Oh, my. Wow. I hadn't thought about that before. (laughs) Uh, And yet, yeah, so God, this is another one of those examples of God uses all things for the good of those who diligently seek him. Ruth was willing to put faith in God even though she's a descendant of that. That's right. And she's blessed. Yes. She becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Um, You're going to talk a little bit about uh, Rahab in the sermon and um, Bathsheba as well. Others who find their way into Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. I don't remember what writer I heard this from, but I enjoyed their description that these women are a neon sign that's flashing out in this genealogy of the patriarchs about God's grace, Mm. that they would find their way in here, that they would be the ones who would be named, and because of the providence that's working in their lives, that they would be the ones to be mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. So I love it. Um, one thing that's significant. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I do. I wanted to make the point. You know, sometimes when we get to a chapter and it's genealogies. Yeah. Um, there's a tendency for, I think Christians in general think, oh boy, here we go. First of all, <laughs> we're going to have trouble pronouncing them if we right. have to read their names. Right. And it's like, well, do we really need this? Mm-hmm. Is this really there? Well, when we say that, that really shows a certain level of immaturity in our understanding because sure. we remember in second Timothy chapter three, verse 16, that the Bible says all scripture uh-huh. is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So if we don't get it, it's not that there is a deficiency in the scripture. It's right. just, there's a deficiency in our understanding. I like that. But when we look at uh, Matthew chapter one, wow, there's a wealth of information just when we read those names mm-hmm. for example you mentioned rahab what jew would have dreamed that G- that jesus ancestral line would also include a one-time pagan prostitute right hard to believe but matthew 1 verse 5 there we mm-hmm. see her name who would have expected that after david's adulterous relationship with bathsheba that led to the murder of her husband uriah mm-hmm. that god would somehow bring the Messiah through Solomon, the offspring of David and Bathsheba, which is not only a lesson in providence, but it's also a lesson in uh, forgiveness yeah. and God's grace. Yeah. And um, So any young teachers out there looking for good sermon content, we just gave you a great one, The Women of Matthew 1. Ah, yes. that'd, that'd be a great sermon. Well, it's... Uh, even world leaders who may be the most unsavory t- characters, God has used them providentially as well. 
that's encouraging for me to know. And there's been some really wicked, evil men have been in, in places of great power. Mm-hmm. But even through their evil, even through their murder, their brutality, God can find a way to bring that to his purposes, to suit his purposes. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest or the basest of men. Mm-hmm. Now, in this same vein of, of rulers who, uh, you know, they're ungodly, they're very corrupt, and yet God's going to use them, we're kind of coming back now to Pharaoh, right? So we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, um, but there's really, in the groups of rulers who oppose God, there's not many that are going to reach the heights of Pharaoh who opposed God through Moses in the book of Exodus. And it's just this powerful encounter of these pagan idols of Egypt versus the true God of heaven. Um, can you tell us about how he is also a part of God's providence, specifically from Romans chapter 9? Well, it, it's amazing, his rebellion. We sometimes wonder why people, when they read the Bible, well, there it is. Why don't they just take it? Why don't they change? But everything that Pharaoh saw and everything that Pharaoh witnessed and experienced, yeah. but he kept saying no to God. <laughs> but the Bible says in Romans 9, verse 17, for this very purpose, I have raised you up. That's what the Lord said to Pharaoh, mm-hmm. that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. God used the evil, wicked ruler Pharaoh yeah. to suit his divine purposes. Mm. Now, we're going to specifically spend some time on uh, maybe a character who's a little bit more sympathetic. That's Pharaoh's daughter. Thus the title, you know, Pharaoh's mm-hmm. daughter and divine providence. Uh, so before we, uh, I guess, tell her story, we might need to back up a few chapters worth of information. So take me back to Genesis uh, before we even get to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible. So back up to the first book towards the end, you know, chapter 37 through 50-ish, and and maybe uh, tell me about how God's people find themselves down in the predicament that we will then look at. Very good. Joseph's brother's betrayal uh, places him in Egypt where through a series of ups and downs, Joseph becomes the most powerful man in Egypt. He starts out sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. Then he finds, him, finds himself second in power only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, eventually, Joseph saves his rather large family that's grown to 66 people, according to Genesis 46, verse 26, and of okay. course, all their livestock. Right. And then they move to Egypt, and they live in Goshen in peace and comfort. Everything seems to be going well. But then, of course, Genesis ends. All right, so uh, they moved down to Egypt. Things improved for them for a while. I know I'm summing up a whole lot of history really briefly, but uh, Joseph's eventually going to die. The new Pharaoh, hundreds of years later, does not remember what he's done for the country, and now the Hebrews are looked down upon by the Egyptians around them, and they're turned into slaves. Why don't you tell me what happens next? And how we kind of get closer to Pharaoh's daughter and divine providence. Well, in Exodus chapter one, we read in verse eight, now there arose a new king over Egypt, Pharaoh, 
who did not know Joseph. There's a, there's a change in Egypt. No longer are the Hyksos in, in power, but another group has, has defeated them and taken over, and they don't know. They don't care anything about Joseph. The Hebrews, they're a problem. They're a pain, and they are growing as a people, population-wise, very rapidly. Ooh, another cliffhanger. We're going to have to cut it off right there. And I apologize if I have frustrated you while you were driving down the road or dropped a dish while you were washing dishes. But we will save the rest of this conversation for next week. And I'll go ahead and tell you in advance, next, next week's episode is going to be a little bit longer, about 40 to 45 minutes, because telling the story of Moses and how Pharaoh's daughter fits into that narrative providentially is a really great story to tell, and I didn't want to break it up into multiple episodes. So next week's will be a little bit longer, and I do hope you'll come back and join us for that episode. Brett Hickey, you can find his information at letthebiblespeak.com. Great TV program. There's also a great amount of resources there, so go check it out. Also, please go to pureandsimplebible.com. And again, I have tons of resources for you to use for personal Bible studies, reaching out to friends, family, neighbors, for you to use absolutely free. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon.